excited to be here. Um, I was planning on coming to church um, because I like, I just like being here. I came once in, sorry, I don't even, I've never done this, but I'm going to do my best with the table. Okay. Um, I came in like January of 2020 um, in, the, in the before times, uh, and I had just an amazing experience. This is such, I was thinking and praying about you all, and as I was reading the scripture, and I just, in my heart and mind, I was imagining, like, what if, what if you're new? What if you're a visitor like me? And I just would say to you specifically, this is a safe place to be a visitor. This is a safe place to be new. This is the kind of, like, it's like a cool, welcoming community where it's not, like, over the top, but it's, like, very, like, the right kind of friendly. I don't know if you've ever gone into a store, and it's the wrong kind of friendly. And you walk in, and there, I worked retail many times, and I was the wrong kind of friendly. Like, I was paid to make people mad and sell them things. Um, but this isn't that kind of place. So if, if, you, if you're new or you're newer or, like, one of my, one of, you know, one of the focuses of our ministry in Minnetonka is a lot of people who um, ha have left faith, left church community because of um, kind of deep wounds or hurts, that usually aren't caused by Jesus, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, but are often caused by church folks like like me. And so, um, if that's you, this is this is a good place to be. This is uh, this is a spot um, that's a good a good one for you to be at. I got the chance to spend some time um, with one of my one of my closest friends. His name is Max. He turned forty. Um, evidently, when you turn forty. Uh, it's a really big deal. Um, the people that are turning 40 right now are making a huge deal of turning 40. My wife just turned 40. Um, so if you're on your way to 40, I guess the sky's the limit. Um, don't limit yourself in any way, okay? Celebrate yourself. So my friend asked a bunch of friends to come into town, and we flew in. We had dinner in his backyard last night. Um, and one of the things that I thought was so incredible is what an honor it is to get to be with people that your friends love. And so for me, being here, because I love David and Becca and Ford and River so much, it's an amazing opportunity to be with the people they love. So I'm, I'm so excited. I do want to give like one quick PSA that I've learned as an uncle. Like I'm very passionate about being an uncle. I have a 10-year-old daughter and an 8-year-old son, but my, my true instinct is to be an uncle. It serves me really well as a pastor. Um, and I view myself as uh, Ford and River's uncle, even if they don't, you know, sometimes they want to call me Cousin Drew or whatever. It doesn't matter to me, though, at all. They could call me any name they wanted. I don't care. Ford and I, thick as thieves, no matter what. We've always gotten along. You know, I came in, I saw him, I sat down next to him on the floor there, and we're chatting Mario, having the time of our lives. River loves me and then forgets that I have ever existed in the world, and it drives me nuts. So in January 2020, I came out here, stayed at their house, won her over, right? Then I saw her like a year or two later, and you would have thought that I had a disease that if she got within three feet of me, she was going to catch and immediately die. Like she just completely stayed away from me. So I saw her in June, and I thought, you know what I'm going to do? Experiment. I'm going to take a fun photo with her, and then the next time I see her, I'm going to show her the photo and just say, River, you like me, see? So I came in, and you know what she did? She went right to that beautiful connection table and hid behind it because she had no idea who I was. And I'm like, okay, let's see how it goes. Take out my phone. I go, River, 
you like me, see? And I showed her this photo, and immediately everything changed. She was smiling the photo next to me, and she was like, okay, it's great. And so then we were pals running around. She was showing me the church. It was amazing. So I don't know if this will only work on River um, or if you have people in your life like that, but I just want to commend that to you as sort of a life hack with little people um, to kind of win them over. So that's, I mean, that's just bonus. That has nothing to do with Colossians. Um, but I'm so excited that it, it worked, you know? I was just, like when you're a parent or you're hanging out with kids, it's just like you try so hard and so often the things you try the hardest at, they don't work at all. Um, so I was thrilled that that one worked. This is my family. I've got a photo of them. Um, we went to Thailand for a month this summer. Uh, we we uh, connected with a ministry that my church partners with called Santa Sook English School and Peace Fellowship. This is our cell group. We met on Sunday mornings. Um, me, uh, my wife, Lauren, is next to me. And then my 10-year-old daughter, Eleanor, who's into rock climbing. And then my son, Eli, who is in uh, is into tennis. We play tennis together. Um, yeah, and uh, the the amazing thing about this, so we we went to this ministry and we lived in Thailand in this tiny little apartment in Bangkok in like a hundred degree weather, and it was an incredible experience because these people are so committed to telling their friends and their neighbors and strangers off the street about how great God is and to testify with their lives about how great God is. I remember listening to David's sermon from last week and just um, how my uncle Steve said, you have to show it before you tell it. And this is a group of people that shows it before they tell it. The guy given the double thumbs up, his nickname is Boss, um, and his, his best friend from high school has been a Christian for 12 years. And we met him, and he was going to the English school, and he was even participating in the cell group. But the first thing he told us is, well, I'm not a Christian. I don't believe in Jesus. But it was just amazing that because of the environment that these people have created in this ministry, that he felt safe to be there, that he felt like he could belong, um, that he could um, that he could be safe in that environment. And then the last Sunday that we were there, he took, like, we were going around sharing about what's going on in our life, and he doesn't say anything, and he's, like, very talkative. I mean, anybody who double thumbs up is a talker, right? I mean, that's just, and so he, he doesn't say anything, doesn't say anything, comes around to him, and he just goes, I'm ready. I'm ready to become a follower of Jesus. And so we got to witness him becoming a Christian right there that day, and then news started to spread around all of these different style groups in this small church community in Bangkok. And people just ran over to him with joy. And then immediately, um, one, the guy in the blue is um, the husband of one of the pastors, and he's the leader of the cell group. And he's like, he's like, okay, I'm so excited for you. Now it's time to get to work. Now it's time to, to live out what it means to follow Jesus. And really... That is kind of the, the, in a nutshell, what I want to share with you from Colossians chapter 2, um, verses 6 through 15, is, is like, okay, you're a Christian. You're a follower of Jesus. You are a part of the family of God. Jesus is the Lord of lords and the King of kings. I had a professor who said, Jesus is Lord means he's the one who gets to tell you how to live your life. But that's a tension, Right? Because I get to tell me how to live my life. And, and it's an opportunity 
Because most of us tell ourselves how to live our lives, but then when we look back at kind of the wreckage of our own life choices and our own value systems lived out in the world, we go, well, I'm not great at it, but I, I'm, I'm reluctant to give up control. So the environment that um, this particular passage of Scripture is addressing isn't so much the kind of modern American tension of saying, well, I want to be the one who's in charge of telling me what to do. But instead, it's much more focused on kind of the competing narratives that exist in the world around the Church of Colossae at this time. Uh, if, you, if you have a Bible, you can turn to um, Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 15. If you don't have a Bible, you can have this one after I'm done with it. I nabbed it from the, um, I nabbed it from the back wall. I brought too many shoes to Los Angeles, and I knew I had my Bible on my phone and on my iPad and on my Kindle and on my computer, so I left a physical Bible at home, but I was glad to see that you guys had them. So this is what it says. Basically what I want to do is I want to read this passage like two or three times. I want to go through it two or three times. And then I want to send us out in the power and the presence of Jesus to be the people that he has created us to be. So, so if you, if I get through it once, you think I'm done, I'm definitely not. And if, you get through, if I get through it twice, I might be done, but maybe not. That's how you can kind of keep track of what we're doing time-wise. So I'm just going to read it all this first time. And now, or other translations say, therefore, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord... You must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. I want to be strong. I want to be thankful. I... And a lot of times I find myself focusing on the outcomes that I want to have. And one of the things that I'm so thankful for, if, you, if you're not familiar with the Bible, and in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, the, the Scripture teaches us what we are supposed to focus on, and then it tells us that the outcomes that God will bring about as we participate in who He wants us to be in the world, He gives us promises. And one of the promises that God gives us is that if we are rooted in Jesus, if we are built on Jesus, then our faith will grow strong in the truth and we will overflow with thankfulness. You want to figure out if the love and the logic of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is active in your life? If you want to kind of do a, a diagnosis, look at gratitude. Now, don't fake gratitude. Don't fake the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the worst thing that you could do for your, your spiritual life is try to, try to behave as if you were being empowered by the Spirit of the living God in your own power and your own strength and your own ability. It's not a good idea. But it's an amazing thing to just sort of say, you know what? I want in the, in the remaining months of this year to, to be more like Jesus I want to keep in step with the Spirit of God more. How will I know if that is happening in my life? 
I was talking to a guy that I just met. I do indoor um, cycling at the gym that I work out at. In Minnesota, eventually everything you do has to move inside. And so I'm kind of an indoor cat anyway when it comes to physical fitness. I run inside, I lift weights inside, I bike inside. And one of the things that's frustrating about biking inside is you don't really realize if you're getting any better. It's probably the same is true outside. I'm just like, every time I finish this 45 minutes of the spin class, I am exhausted. Is this even working? Is this doing anything? And so what I started to do with weightlifting and with my running and with the, the biking that I do um, is I keep track of it. I have this, this um, Excel spreadsheet on my phone and I just put in the results. And one of the best moments of my life was last Christmas. I was looking back and I went a year back and I was like, I'm stronger and I'm faster and I'm lighter. This is Incredible. But if you'd asked me the day before, Drew, are you stronger? Drew, are you faster? Drew, are you lighter? I would have said, maybe a little, but probably not much. And, and the, the, the reason is that when we're in the grind and we're in the moment, it's difficult for us to tell. So in your spiritual life, I think that you can use these diagnostics, especially thankfulness, to say, am I becoming more like Jesus? And then pay attention to what other people say of you. And one of the things that you'll find is that people will say, you are a thankful person. You are somebody whose life is marked by gratitude. Now, the way you do that isn't to aim at gratitude, and it isn't to fake gratitude. What the text tells us is that when we accept Jesus as Lord and we continue to follow him by letting the roots grow down deep and build on the firm foundation of Jesus, I added a little bit of that, but I promise it's in other parts of the Bible that we'll get to later. Then, then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. So is your faith strong? Well, it's difficult to tell sometimes because you're so close to it. But one of the ways that God has given us as a, as a testimony to us is the degree to which thankfulness overflows in our lives. And so as a community, I would encourage you to affirm each other when you see gratitude. Because what you are doing then is helping the body that you are a part of be built strong. Okay, so this is what it says next. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding high nonsense that comes from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. I got to be honest with you guys. I love, love philosophies and high-sounding nonsense. Okay? It's just, I, I, love, I love reading. I love books. I love discovering. I love school. My kids hate school. And I just go, isn't it just a blessing to learn? Um, I love discovering things. I love debating things. People who are peddling in empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense, don't actually call them nonsense and empty, right? 
But again, that would, I mean, that would just wouldn't make sense, right? Like, you're not going to go, hey, hey, come over here. I want to I talk to you a little bit about this empty philosophy that I am absolutely passionate about and that I am absolutely convinced is the future for you. Oh, and, and you never say, you know what? That, that, that fancy perspective that you have, the high-sounding ideals, that flowery language, when I use those words, it's nonsense. No, people talk like that because they want to be impressive. They talk like that because they think that those kinds of words are the way that they can communicate most effectively the things that they're invested in. People who believe in different philosophies and different theologies and different perspectives in the world would never call them nonsense. And I think that's just important to keep in the back of our minds because when Paul is writing this to the church of Colossae, this is probably the first time that they had heard someone called out and go, you know what, I think that's kind of nonsense. I, 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 think that, I think that that philosophy that, that, you are, that you are, you know, continuing to be seduced by is actually empty. And, and so what he tells them is don't get captured. And the word that I would want to focus on for you that I would kind of underline in my own heart and my own imagination is that word captured. Last week, David talked a lot about what it looks like to bear witness to who God is in the world through the way that we speak and through the way that we live our lives. And in order to live our lives around other people, we need to enter into the marketplace of ideas, right? And we need to enter in in a way that is charitable and in a way that is kind. And in a way that isn't charitable or isn't kind is to empty, enter into the, the marketplace of ideas and just go, well, that philosophy is empty. I know it because the Bible told me. You know, people are going to be like, you are no longer invited to the marketplace of ideas. And so I think the word that I focus on here is capture. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking and from spiritual powers of this world. It's okay to be exposed, but it's dangerous to be captured. And now this is a, this is a d dimension of spiritual maturity, right? Like, if you are new to following Jesus then you need to soak in Jesus. And if you are old in following Jesus, then you need to soak in Jesus. And as you are soaking in Jesus, and as you are familiar with who God is and what the still small whisper of the Spirit of God is saying to you about what it means to be a particular and a peculiar follower of Jesus in your life, then you can kind of take a step in to the marketplace of ideas. Then you can take a step in to the conversations that your coworkers and your neighbors are having in the world, and you don't need to take a step in as one who needs to control the conversation. You don't need to take a step in as one who needs to win the argument. Rather, you can step into that space knowing, you know what, I'm not going to be captured because I am anchored. I am tethered to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords but I can be in this space. Now, if you're new to following Jesus and you're soaking in Jesus and you're, and you're learning about who God is and who you are and what the world is really like and what really matters, you might, you might find yourself in an environment and you just go, you know what? I'm still so easily swayed by this stuff. I'm so easily convinced 
um, that what is true on Sunday is true, but then when somebody else tells me what is true on Monday, I switch. And then when somebody else tells me what's going to happen on Tuesday, I switch, and then I switch on Wednesday, and then I switch on Thursday, and I would say, well, if that's the case for you, and you're being honest about that where you're at, then Paul is speaking right to you in Colossians, and he's saying, don't be captured. And if, you, if you're in danger of being captured, then you've got to be careful about what you're exposing yourself to. The way to not be captured, though, I don't think, is to avoid. Instead, it's to focus on Christ, right? Don't let anyone capture you. Instead, let Christ capture you. Don't let empty philosophy and high-sounding nonsense capture you. Let Christ capture you. Why? For in Christ, this is verse 9, in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. That, that's difficult to conceive, and so it's hard to believe. But that's why we need to soak in the realities of the mysteries of God. Because they look like foolishness in any other way. What do you mean that all of the fullness of God is in Jesus? Do you have a low view of who God is? Maybe that's it. Maybe this God of the Bible isn't very powerful. Maybe this God of the Bible isn't very strong. Maybe this God of the Bible isn't very good. Well, that's exactly the opposite. When you start in Genesis and you go to Revelation, the, the God that is revealed in Scripture is the creator and the sustainer of the universe. And, and Jesus... All, all the fullness of God in a human body is found in Jesus Christ. Unbelievable. Difficult to believe. But that's what Paul is saying. He's saying, be captured by that reality. Because all of the empty philosophies and all of the high-sounding nonsense are going to tell you that that doesn't make sense. And they're going to tell you that that doesn't make sense, and they're going to give you their own ideas about what makes sense. They're going to help you understand what could possibly be true. And now, I'm, again, I'm not saying this to build walls. Instead, what I'm saying is that I think Paul wants the Colossian church, and Paul is inviting us to join the Colossian church in being anchored in the truth of who God is, because that sets us free, and that enables us to show up in the world in meaningful and powerful ways. And so he says to them, here is a philosophy. Here are some words that are true. In Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. And then it goes on in verse 10. So you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. So you also are complete or filled is another translation that I like because what Paul is getting at here is this idea of being the body of Christ. 
or being the temple of God that is being built together, right? So if we're the body of Christ, the New Testament tells us that Jesus is the head. If we are being built together as a spiritual house or as a temple, then Jesus is the cornerstone, and we are being built together. And so not only does all the fullness of God live in Jesus, so also we are complete or filled through our union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and every authority. And I got to tell you, every other philosophy and every other idea has a competing view of who's in charge. <clears throat> when my wife and I are both behaving selfishly, I think that I'm in charge. She thinks that she's in charge. She's less selfish than me, so that's why sometimes I win. Um, but it's not good, necessarily, right? And every worldview, every perspective, every philosophy, one of the things I do that, that makes my kids the maddest, I grew up, my dad's a pastor, David's dad's a pastor, deep into the ecosystem, passionate about it. But I just, I see things through the lens of the story that God is telling in Scripture. And the, the way that I use this superpower most effectively is I ruin Disney movies for my kids. I ruin every movie for my kids. Like, I'm like, well, that's, that's we were watching this weird Disney show where kids um, are in, like, a role-playing game, and it's called The Quest. It's not good, but maybe you like it. It's fine if you like it. Um, and we're watching it, and they're, just, they're using this vocabulary. And I just said, Eleanor, that's in the Bible. That's what they're talking about. That's, that's like a picture of what God wants to do in your life. And she just rolls her eyes, Dad, leave it alone, right? We're watching Frozen, Frozen 2. And I'm just like, do you see this? Can you understand what, what God wants to do in your life? Can you, you know, like, and she's just like, why do you have to do this to every single thing that I'm into? And I'm like, because everything that we're all into is telling a story about who God is, who we are, what the world is really like, and what really matters. And if, if we're aware that stories are being told, then either the stories support the truth that Jesus, that all the fullness of God dwells in Jesus, and that we are filled or we are made complete in our union with Christ, who is the head over every rule and authority, or it tells a different sort of story. And because I believe that God is good, and I beca because I believe that God is living and active in the world, I believe that there are so many stories that don't perfectly capture what God is up to in the world, but they echo toward it, and they point toward it. And what I can't stop doing with my kids is point to Jesus through those goofy movies. And it's just a good thing that I don't listen very closely to the songs, because I'm sure I would do that too. But, but that's, that's the idea here, is what are the philosophies? What are the ideas? What are the stories that you are believing about yourself, that you are believing about your community, that you are believing about your city, that we are believing about the world that we live in and its future? I don't care what political party you are in, you, the, the political parties are not believing good things for our country. They're not hopeful about where we are going. And one of the things that I love for you is that David is a, like just an absolute purveyor of hope, right? 
It's like he goes over to the Bible and grabs some seeds of hope, and he just throws them out into the world. He's not optimistic. He's hopeful. And, and, and he is a person. I listened to the sermon last week, and I was just like, yes, David, let's do it. Because it just, it's, those are not the stories that we're hearing. Those are not the stories that we are telling. We are telling ourselves things that are not true or less than the full truth about who we really are. And so what Paul does is he doesn't work his way up to it. He starts with the most important thing. All the fullness of God dwells in Christ. You are then also made complete, filled, because of your relationship with Jesus. Verse 11 says, When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, by, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. And then he says, For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized. And with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. You were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. Amen. In this way, he's not done. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. What does Paul do, right? He says, don't be filled with empty philosophies. Don't be seduced by nonsense. Don't be captured by all of these ideas. Instead, let me tell you the truth. Let me tell you the truth in a way that anchors you. Let me tell you the truth in a way that, that roots you, right? Go back to the beginning of this passage. That roots you. Let me tell you the truth in a way that is a firm foundation on which you can build your life, on which you can build your community, on which you can build the church in Colossae. And so what does he say to them? You have received a spiritual circumcision the cutting away of your sinful nature. We, there's a song that says our heart needs a surgeon. God carefully, surgically cuts away, not who we really are, cuts away the sinful nature that is keeping us from being the people that God created us to be that is keeping us from the good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do. So what does God do? He performs a spiritual circumcision that cuts away our sinful nature, the disease of sin that is keeping us from being the people that God created us to be. What else does he do? We join Jesus in his death. We're buried with Christ, and then we're raised to new life because we trusted the mighty power of God. We trusted the mighty power of God. So what does that mean? What is God doing in our lives? We've been given new life. He cuts away the disease of sin from our life. He gives us a new life. Then it says that he cancels the record of the charges against us. Then it says that he disarmed all the spiritual rulers and authorities. And then it says that he publicly shamed those rulers and authorities by his victory on the cross. We have accepted Jesus Christ as Lord, and that 
is who God is, and that is what God is up to in our lives. And Paul is saying to the church in Colossae, listen, there's all kinds of philosophies. There's all kinds of ideas. There's all kinds of everything going on in the world. But the truth is that all the fullness of God is in the human body of Jesus, that you have been complete, you have been filled by this Jesus. You are being built together as a temple for God. You are the body of Christ with Jesus as the head. And this Jesus, who isn't out to get you, but is instead out to love you and redeem you and save you, cuts away the disease of sin from your life, gives you a new life, cancels the record of charges against you. My sister got a speeding ticket once in Wisconsin. She was going very fast. And the ticket was very large. And we're still not sure if the state of Wisconsin has canceled the record of the charges against us, against her. And so I always like to joke to her. I say, are you, gonna, are you okay to drive in Wisconsin? Are you okay if we, we vacation in Door County, Wisconsin a lot, so we drive from Minnesota to Wisconsin? And I love to joke with her. Like, is, this, is it safe for you? And if you think about it, that's a question that we ask ourselves a lot spiritually. That's a question that a lot of the philosophies and the theologies and the Disney movies and the songs and the books and the worldviews are asking, am I safe? This record against me, is it following me? Is it coming with me? Is it, is it tracking everywhere that I go and, and coming ahead before me and heralding my arrival into a place? Is everything that I've done come before me into this room, into this date, into this job interview? And the answer in the world that we live in is absolutely yes. No one has canceled the record that is against you. And instead, people are very interested in the record that is against you. They're very interested in counting your wrongs. But not Jesus. Because in Jesus, the record of the charges against us are canceled. And Colossians tells us that there's a spiritual battle going on. And if we were fighting for ourselves in the spiritual battle, we would lose. But Jesus has disarmed all the spiritual rulers and authorities, and he's publicly shamed those rulers and authorities by his victory on the cross. And so Paul says, continue to follow. Let your roots grow down. Let your lives be built on him. I'm only going to go through it once. I really got carried away. Okay, so this is what I want to say. Three questions. How do you start? How do you continue? And how do you stay aware? really fast. How do you start? Trust Jesus. Verse 12, you trusted the mighty power of God. David already talked about this when he talked to us, talked us through communion. What does it look like to start? It looks like trusting the mighty power of God. How do you continue? You let your roots grow down deep. Psalm 1 is my favorite passage for this. It says, Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around sinners or join with mockers, but they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all that they do. They are a tree who is planted by the riverbank, meaning that they are always being nourished. They are always being fed. And as a result of that, they bear fruit in season and their leaves never wither. What does it look like to continue? Allow your roots to go down deep as you soak 
in Jesus as you focus on the word that God is saying to you. Also says, live life on a firm foundation. Matthew 7, Jesus says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is the wise person, like a person who builds a house on a solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against the house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and does not obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and the floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. How do we continue? We allow our roots to go down deep and we build on a firm foundation. In order to do that, we have to stay aware so that we're not captured. So how do we stay aware? We take every thought captive. A lot of times people use this passage, this idea of taking every thought captive, and they only use it about bad thoughts. But that's not every thought, right? Because some of your thoughts are awesome. So what if you took the awesome thoughts captive and you said, you know what? This is an awesome thought that's true about who God is. I need to make that kind of a central fixture on my kitchen table. You, the, this is an awesome thought about what the world is really like. And you know what? When I go to work, I get really confused about what the world is really like and what really matters. And so I'm going to make this thought kind of a foundation of my desk. Or if you work from home, you know, like you, there are things that you can put behind you as you look at that computer screen and you can just say, you know what? I want to take this thought captive. And yeah, some of them you just want to get rid of. And, and sometimes you want to talk to people and you say, this thought just keeps coming up against me. It keeps bumping up against me and I don't know what to do. But what are the good thoughts? What are the true things that God is telling you that you just aren't putting in front of you enough, that you aren't becoming aware of enough? It's interesting to me that in this passage, Paul does not focus on what not to do, right? He focuses on what to do. And, and I think if, if we are behaving the way that he wants the church in Colossae to behave, we will pay attention. We will take every thought captive. We will examine. The other thing that I think you can do to stay aware is to pay attention to what is coming out. If you look like and sound like and act like everyone else, then you probably are being like everybody else, and that's a bit of a problem. Because we are supposed to be particular people of Jesus. We are supposed to be peculiar people set apart by Jesus. All the fullness of God rests in Jesus, and we are filled, we are made complete because of our relationship to Jesus. And so if you look like everybody else, then you probably are like everybody else. This morning I woke up and I said, you know what I'm going to do for fun? I'm going to try to dress like David. I didn't know what he would wear. I didn't know. Okay? I only saw last week's sermon. I think he wore a black shirt. And I thought, you know what David would wear? A white shirt, dark pants, jacket. Nailed it. Right? Absolutely nailed it. And that's the thing, right? What would Jesus do? My friend that I was visiting is Jewish. He goes, whatever happened to what would Jesus do? I go, I don't know. It's still super real for me. I even still have a bracelet. Um, I'm not wearing it right now. But the idea is, what, what would Jesus dress like? What would Jesus act like? What would Jesus talk about if he had your life? What kind of uncle would Jesus be? What kind of nurse would Jesus be? What kind of grandparent would Jesus be? What kind of employer would Jesus be? 
And if you look like everybody else, then that's probably a problem because you're acting like everybody else. But if you look like Jesus, then you're probably acting like Jesus. The last two things. Another way to stay aware is to marinate in Jesus. My favorite thing to do is to cook Thanksgiving turkey. And the best way to cook Thanksgiving turkey is to brine it in a saltwater bath for at least 24 hours. It's just, if you don't do it that way, you're wrong. And I'm right. And I'm nothing like David in this way. This is maybe one of the three things in my life that I'm truly passionate about. Brining your turkey is important to me. And it's also an amazing spiritual metaphor. Because when you brine your turkey, all of the flavors of that brine soak in to the turkey over time. And then they show up later, as long as you remember to rinse the turkey. Because if you don't rinse the turkey, then the salt really shows up. And it's truly disgusting. <laughs> so marinate in Jesus. Marinate in Jesus. How do you stay aware that you're not being captured by something else, but you're being captured by Jesus? Marinate in Jesus. And then finally, live life in community. What I like to say to my church is that following Jesus is a team sport. I played tennis growing up. I don't do well with team sports. Following Jesus in community is hard for me, okay? It's easy for me to read my Bible. It's easy for me to study. It's easy for me to pray. It's easy for me to listen to songs in my car and worship God. It's hard. This sounds weird coming from a pastor. It's hard for me to come to church. It's hard for me to linger in the lobby. It's hard for me to participate in groups. It's hard for me to talk about my feelings and what God is doing in my life, but it's good for me. And just because something is hard for you doesn't mean that it isn't good for you. And following Jesus is a team sport. And there are so many reasons that are all built into this. And you could make your own list of 12 different reasons right now about why doing this in community is so important. But if you want to remember what Jesus is telling you, community will help you. If you want to not be captured by an empty philosophy, community will help you. If you need challenge, community will help you. If you need encouragement, community will help you. Thank you for letting me be here today. I want to pray for us, and then David's going to come up and close our service. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is living and active. Thank you that it is useful for building us up. Thank you that it's useful for challenging us. Thank you that it's useful for encouraging us. Um, God, we pray that as we have spent time marinating in this passage that you gave Paul to give Colossae, that you have continued to give to your church for thousands of years, God, that we wouldn't be like everybody else, that we would be like you because we continued in following you, that we continued in trusting you as Lord. In Jesus' name we pray.